Thanks, Eric. So we're uh, continuing our time in First Samuel. We're nearing the end. Here's the plan. <clears throat> so the plan is we're going to finish. Uh, kind of need to know this. Originally, First and Second Samuel would have been one scroll. Um, it's the same story, and um, just because of the length, it's been divided into two books. So um, what we're going to do is we'll finish First uh, Samuel here in the month of August. We'll have a couple of standalone sermons, and then um, we'll do the Apostles' Creed, and then in the new year, in January, we'll pick back up Second Samuel and continue the story. Because you really, if you're following the story, you want to know the end of the story, right? Um, and Second Samuel is, uh, is a pretty exciting book in its own. Um, First and Second Samuel are easily considered some of the best storytelling in all the Bible. And if you're following the story and you're really reading and thinking about the story, right about now you ought to be asking a couple questions. So let's just kind of get up to speed. First Samuel 27, okay? David um, is very fearful of Saul. He is at the end of his rope, as you recall. God has rescued him numerous times along the way. But he is a man. He's, uh, he's got gut feelings about things. He, uh, he doesn't always perceive the world correctly. And as we've already looked at, he has trouble at times trusting the Lord's plan for him. The Lord has told him he's going to be king. He's used numerous people in his life to tell him, hey, you're going to be king. And he just had a lapse of uh, trust, a, a struggle with his walk with the Lord, if you want to think of it that way, in 1 Samuel 27. And you'll recall, he said to himself over and over, and we talked about how David was playing these tapes in his head, and the tapes were, Saul is going to eventually get me. And so I've got to do something. And so you'll recall in 1 Samuel 27, David takes, not just himself, but he takes all of his fighting men, 600 plus, their families, his family, and they go to the Philistines. So David goes to King Achish, who he's already met once before, and he goes to him a second time. And this time, Achish, the king of the Philistines, he's one of five kings, okay? Um, they have five major rulers in the Philistine territories. But Achish receives David this time because he sees Hey, David's here. He, uh, it sounds like he's willing to, um, to kind of work with me. And he's got a really nice mercenary army that has a really great reputation. And so King Achish receives David. And you'll recall that David is doing these raids. And as he's doing the raids, he's reporting to King Achish that he's actually battling the Israelites. And you'll recall it's a, it's a farce. It's not true. David is actually battling systematically the enemies of Israel. He's using Philistine cover to do it. But because he's lying, he has to be extremely brutal in the way that he carries out those raids. And so you'll recall, he goes, he does a raid, and he obliterates everything so that nobody is left to to run away and talk about how David came and attacked him. 
Instead, he kills women and children and he just, you know, lays waste to whatever clan it is that he's attacking. And he does this so that his cover isn't blown. So all along, King Achish is thinking, wow, this David is doing great work for us. All the while, David is doing great work for Israel. He's doing it from the safety of King Achish's cover. We get to chapter 28, verses 1 and 2. And I'm having the worst time at this thing this morning. We get to chapter 28, verses 1 and 2, and King Achish comes to David, and he essentially says to him, you have been amazing. What I'd really like for you to do is to be my bodyguard. And he pumps David up. He says, look, we're going into battle. We're going to have a big fight with the Israelites, and I want you there. I want you in the fight, and more than that, I want you to be my personal bodyguard. Is essentially what he asks. And David says, Right on, brother. I'm there with you. And then chapter 28. The writer leaves us hanging and tells us a story that Marion got to preach on two weeks ago, which if you heard that sermon, you probably thought was the weirdest sermon. Not that Marion's ever preached, but the weirdest sermon because the text is so strange. So we flip back to Saul. So we're looking at David. Now we go look at Saul. And what does Saul do? Well, in the, in the middle of the night, Saul sneaks out and he goes to see the witch of Endor. What a great story. She's actually a medium. And he goes to the medium. Now, Marion's told you, right? Put those Ouija boards away. If there's anything this passage should tell you, it's that that stuff is real. Because Saul goes, he is looking for comfort, he's looking for aid. He wants to know his future. He wants to know what's going to happen to him. And so he goes, he finds the medium of Endor, he sits down with her. Right? You, you, you get the picture, the cauldron is there, the lights are dim. She's probably got a little lava lamp over here in the corner. And, and they have a conversation. And in the conversation, she says, who do you want to talk to? Who do you want me to summon? And he says, Samuel. And so she brings Samuel. And Samuel and Saul have a convo, and it's mostly Samuel talking. And at the end of that conversation, Samuel tells Saul, tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. Do you know what that means? That means Saul and his sons are going to die in the battle. So there's a battle looming. Saul has snuck out from his army. He's gone to the, to the medium. He wants to know what's going to happen. Samuel gets raised. Samuel's not happy. Samuel's like, why have you brought me here? Why did you bring me here? And oh, by the way, here's what's going to happen. And the interesting thing about that is if you go and you look at that passage in 28, Samuel actually says, the Lord, right? He's, he's gone to the by and by. He's still speaking for the Lord to Saul through a medium. And he's delivering the word and he says, the Lord has said and has directed and is in control. So from Samuel through a medium to Saul, we are getting a picture of the Word of the Lord. He is directing the steps of Saul. And Samuel, 
is still delivering the message to this king who is finally at the end of his decline. And that's where we pick up the story as we get to chapter 29. So here's what's going on in chapter 29. In 29, so now, Saul has the word. He is very unhappy, as you might expect. He is distraught. The passage in 28 says he falls all the way down. He's not on his knees. He is laying on the floor, begging, essentially, for this not to be the case. It's really bad news. And now we move back in 29 to the battle. Well, not quite to the battle. That's coming. But we're close. And here's the setup. The setup is the armies are set. The Israelites are at the well at Jezreel. The Philistines are drawing up lines. If you go all the way back to 1 Samuel 14, it's another big battle. It's, It's going to be exactly like the battle that brought Saul into power. Remember, the Israelites were smashed, and after they were smashed, they came back and said, we need a king. And so Samuel went to the Lord and he said, they say they want a king. And God says, it's not a very good idea, but I'll give them a king. Sometimes he gives us what we want. And so he gave him a king. And now King Saul had a little bit of a rise, and then his pride got the best of him, and now he's on the downward decline. And so we get this picture, and the picture is the armies are lined up. And then the scene shifts to the Philistines, and the Philistines are having their pass and review. Do you know what pass and review is? That's where the troops march in front of the generals and the kings, and they give their salute, and they show off their weapons, and the kings go, this is good, and everybody gets pumped up, and so they're, they're, they're jazzing, okay? They're getting things ready to do the battle. And so they're having their pass and review, and they're doing it in front of the lords, those are the kings, and, and, and then they're also doing it in front of the military generals. And it's the military generals who are watching the pass and review, and so here comes Akish, right? And he's got his Philistine troops, and then on the back side, he's got his mercenary army, David and his fighting men. And so they're doing the pass and review, and and the generals say, one of the generals says, hold on a second, who are these Hebrews? What are they doing here? We're getting ready to fight Hebrews, and this guy's got Hebrews marching in his army. And so he raises a red flag. And this is the, this is the first red flag in the, in the story, and this is the first time that Achish, no, Achish, the king of one of the kings of the Philistines is going to speak three different times about David. And so this is the, this is his first speech that he is going to give. Look at chapter 29, um, verse 3. It's the second half. The commander asks, what about these Hebrews? You can hear it, right? Achish replied, is this not David, who was an officer of Saul, king of Israel? He's already been with me for over a year. And, and from the day he left Saul and from, and until now, I have found no fault with him. Okay. That is the first, you know, here's Achish. He's spent 16 months. The NIV obscures it a little bit. He says, he's been with me days and years. 
Okay, that's really the way he says it. He says, he's been with me days and he's been with me years. No, he's been with you 16 months. And you're a fool. He has been suckering you this whole time, but he doesn't get it. And so he is speaking about David in these glowing terms. He says, look, he is, he is, uh, he was one of Saul's generals and he's been glowingly, amazingly good during the time he's been with me. And what do the generals say? You can look at the next verse. Verse (laughs) 4. But the commanders, the generals were angry with him. And they said, Send the man back that he may return to the place you assigned him. He must not go with this into battle or he will turn. So they'll have none of it. They look at Achish and they're essentially saying to him, You, sir, are an idiot. Why in the world would you take Saul's chief general into the battle with you against Saul and his men? He he has one purpose, and his purpose is he's going to turn on you. He'll get into battle, and he'll become a fifth column, and he will turn, and he will cut our heads off. Don't you know the song? And then they recount the song. You remember the song? Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands. Okay, And so they relay the song that we've already heard relayed multiple times because it was widespread news in that day. Everybody knew David was on the, uh, the ascension and, and Saul the descension, essentially. That was what everybody understood. David was the guy. And so they bring it up and they challenge Achish, verse 6. Achish called David and he said to him, now, listen, just imagine, imagine the irony in the story. It's almost, it is humorous. You have to think of it that way. You have got to read it like you're reading your, you know, your, your Sparks novel or Tom Clancy or something. Don't read it like you're just reading the Bible again. So he calls David to him. Achish brings David in. And essentially says it like this. Man, I am so sorry. The generals are just not going to have any of it. I mean, you've been amazing. You're, you're, you're incredible, David. I love you, man. I mean, you've been with me from the day that you came from me until now. I've not ever found any fault with you. I mean, you've you're been awesome. But, man... Those jokers, they just not going to have any of it. I tried. Believe me, I tried. I pushed back against them. They just, they just, they're not going to, they're not going to let you go to battle with us. So look, you're going to have to turn back. You're going to have to go back. Please, please don't do anything disrespectful. Verse seven. Don't show, you know, you can think of a number of ways he probably said it. But he said, look, don't. Don't do anything to displease them, to disrespect them. Just just go back. Number two, to David. He affirms this amazing quality of leadership in David and how he's been so steadfast and who he is. And then David responds. Verse 8. <laughs> Let me ask you. What should David be saying? What, what do you think he's saying in his heart of hearts right this minute? Because here's the situation. The situation is 
he is about to be asked to march into battle with Achish and the rest of the Philistines in a massive battle against the Israelites, his own people, of whom God has told him he will be their king and he will lead them as their people into peace and prosperity. And now he's lined up by force, essentially. He has no choice. If he, if he bails out on King Achish, what is, what is he going to say? You're a traitor. I thought you were with us. You've been telling me all along you're battling the Israelites. Well, let's go do battle with the Israelites. You see it? And now verse 8. And so in verse 8, what David ought to say is, you're right, thanks, we're headed back. Instead, what does he say? Oh, my Lord. Oh, I wanted nothing more than to march into battle with you. This is my heart's longing, my heart's desire. Look at it, verse 8. But, but what have I done? What have you found against me, your servant, from the day that I came until now? Why can't I go fight against the enemies of my Lord and King? Here's the challenge. The challenge is, we have no way of knowing what David's really thinking at this moment. And we don't get to find out. Because he goes home. Because he does what they say. But we don't know. And here are your options. Option A, David is an amazing actor. We've already seen it once before, right? When he clawed the walls in front of King Achish and he let the drool drip down into his beard and he acted like a crazy man. So David's already put on an act before. Is he acting now? Or was David thinking, I can get into battle and I can be that fifth column. And what's striking is the very words that he says at the end. Who's he talking to? Who's he talking about when he says, why can't I go fight the enemies of my Lord and my King? Let me ask, who is his Lord and his King? Who has he said all along was his Lord and his King? Who did he say my Lord and my King to when he clipped off the edge of his robe in the cave? And, and when he had an opportunity to kill him, he referred to Saul as his Lord and his King. Is he now thinking of Achish as his Lord and King? Or is he secretly talking to Saul and about Saul? We'll never know. We'll never know because in God's providence, God sent David packing before they ever got into battle. Because David doesn't know the rest of the story, does he? So let's say that's what he was thinking. That he'll go into battle, and in the midst of the battle, all of a sudden, he'll turn, and his men will turn, and they will start fighting with the Israelites. Perhaps that was his plan. Perhaps he didn't know what he was going to do. Perhaps he was at a moment of sheer terror, and, and he just thought, well, maybe the thing I'm supposed to say is, gee whiz, I really wanted to go fight, but oh, okay, I'll have to go back. But at any rate, what you and I are to see in this passage right here is God's hand at work. And here's the striking thing about it. If you look at chapter 29, there is one mention of God in the passage. And it doesn't come from David. It comes from a Philistine king who looks at David and says, you have been as blameless before me as an angel of God. 
That is the only mention of God in the passage. Now, does that mean that David's flying solo and he's completely on his own? No. It means that God is at work. He's just not on every verse. He's not on every page the way that we think he should be. Is he directing the steps of David? Absolutely. David and his men got up early in the morning to go back to the land of the Philistines. They rose early. The the, the passage is contrasting for us. Saul, who one passage earlier at night goes to meet the witch of Endor. And the next day, David rises early in the morning and meets the grace and mercy of God as he and his men head back to Ziklag. Safe, secure. He doesn't have to go fight. Why? Because God has different plans. And in fact, had David been there, perhaps they would have won. Perhaps they would have been victorious. I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to give away the story that's coming, but let's just say it's not favorable for Israel. It's really not favorable for Saul. But the Lord was directing David's steps in the midst of all of that stuff. That's the story. What, have, what are a, a couple of takeaways for us? Here's the first one. Be careful about looking for God at work in the big, the big things, right? Uh, in, in big ways, as if that's the only way He does it. He is at work in the little, minor, minute details of life. Proverbs 16.9 says, In their hearts men plan their ways, but the Lord establishes their steps. Right? They're walking. We plan our ways. We lay it out there. Perhaps David had a great plan. Perhaps he thought this is how it's all going to go down. And what happens? The Lord uses in his life a Philistine general, maybe a couple of them, to send him packing away from the battle. That's often the way it happens. So don't think of the big things necessarily. Remember the little ways. God is at work in the quiet places of life. The little things of life, the little details of life. I want you to, I want you to listen to uh, to Daniel, <clears throat> chapter two, beginning in verse twenty. This is Daniel. He's praising the God of heaven, and he says, "Praise be to the God, to, to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are His." Verse twenty-one. He changes times and seasons. He sets up kings and he deposes them. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the, to the discerning. Verse 22, he reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank you and I praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. Who knows the dreams of the king? God does. Who directs your steps when you're planning your ways? God does. 
he did for David in the midst of everything that was going on with David, his planning, his scheming, his line, God was planning his steps. Don't forget that. Don't forget that he's at work in the little details of your lives. Here's the second thing. Learn to rejoice in the providence of God. Try to work Romans 8.28 into your life so that you're, you're thankful for the providences that God brings your way. I mean, just imagine. In David's life, God used the Philistine military men, the leaders, to free David from a really terrible decision and dilemma. Who would have thought? Ralph Davis, a commentator, author, one of my professors, tells a story about a woman who was living in more ancient times when day-to-day sustenance was was kind of uh, you know, at the order of every day, and she she had, had been struggling to find food for her and her children, and um, and so she'd been praying to God. You know, she was kind of at the end of her rope, and she was out of money, and she was out of supplies, and and she was thinking about her and her kids going hungry, and so she had cried out to the Lord, and and it just so happened that a neighbor knew of her grief and knew of her struggle, and and he was more of the atheistic bent. And so he thought he would have a little fun with her. And um, so they went to bed one night, and he, uh, he had gone out and purchased a couple of loaves of bread. And he went over, and he, he took him and he sat him on her front porch, you know, on her right there at the door. And so she woke up in the morning, and she opened the door, and there on the, on the doorstep are two loaves of bread. And so you can imagine, right? God has providentially provided for all of my needs. This is amazing. And so she's giving praise and, and thanks to God. And, uh, and the neighbor comes over and really attempts to help her demyth- you know, get all of that out of her head, to, to uh, take that idea away from her. And, and so he mocks her and he tells her, well, <laughs> I provided that bread, not God. And, uh, and so he's taking her down that road and she has a really great answer. She looks at him and says, oh, yes, it was the Lord who answered my prayer. He just used the devil to do it. Okay? That's, that is in the story, right? That's the undercurrent. God is using kings and lords to advance his purpose in the life of David. Listen, don't, don't discount who it is that God uses or that He's working in your life. Romans 11.33, right? How unsearchable are His ways to us. And here's the third and final point. God's grace and mercy are tenacious. He, He doesn't give up on His own easily. It's a reformed tenet, right? We talk about it. Perseverance of the saints. That those, Paul says in Rome and Philippians 1, those that he began a good work in, he will carry on to the day of completion. He wasn't about to give up on David. One of the exciting parts of the life of David as we go into 2 Samuel is, is how tragically David messes up and yet how faithfully God is in his life. That is the great story of Scripture, right? That God pursues those who he loves. 
That's why the passage that says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, is so powerful. Because look, there's thousands of years of history of God's people not getting it and being fairly dense about who God is and His love for them. And yet in the middle of all that, the Bible tells us, while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. He came down. He lived among us. God sent Jesus into the world because He is tenacious in mercy and grace to pursue us, to love us when we're unlovable. That's the great message of the Gospel. And in David's life, it was no less true, right? Here he is, again, he's completely, nearly abandoned his faithful trust in the Lord. He's living with the Philistines for 16 months. He, he believes that's his protection. That's where, that's where he's finding his, his comfort, his aid, is in Philistine rulers. And in the midst of all that, when he's in the worst possible dilemma, right? The place where you would say, you know, you probably just need to feel that one for a little while, okay? You know, he's not quite in a jail cell, but he might, may as well be. You know, he's been picked up for DUI. Let him sit there for a few days and feel it. Instead, God rescues him through the wisdom of the Philistine general and sends him back home so that he doesn't have to endure a battle in which Saul and his sons are going to die. God is tenacious. He loves you. That's the message of Scripture. He loves you even though we're not lovable. And He will pursue you to the ends of the earth. Let's pray. Father, You're good to us. Thank You for Your love, for an amazing story. Um, uh, It's not hard for us necessarily to understand. For Father, we have given way and not trusted and our faith has wavered and father we would just come back to the cross this morning and ask lord jesus love us you tell us in your word that there is no height there is no depth there is nothing that can separate us from your love And so let us feel it, let us know it experientially this very day. We pray it all in Christ's name. Amen.